trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, if it's your first time uh, dabbling in wrong think, ah, come stick a foot in the pool. Come jump in with both feet. I think you're going to find it to your liking. I got my friend uh, Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos joining me today. We don't just talk about wrong think, we revel in it. Eric, how are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm getting my Halloween costume ready. Do you want to know what it is? Tell me. It's multiple masks. It's a face shield. It's several pairs of plastic gloves. <laughs> and I might even go ahead and get the aquarium bubble to put over my head on top of it all. Don't forget your I've been vaccinated sticker. Yeah, and I'm serious. You know, I just finished writing a, a one of my filing one of my uh, episodic diaper reports about it. And I think it would be very helpful if on Halloween we could convince uh, most of the people, most of the adults in this country to make a mockery of sickness psychosis by dressing around, uh, by volunteering to, to dress up in the idiotic costumes that they tried to force us to wear uh, all that time during the <coughs> pandemic, uh, just to make it ridiculous. You know, I think if we could do that, it would have a very healthful effect in that the day after Halloween, it would be very difficult for anybody to try to seriously wear a mask. They would just look ridiculous. They would look as stupid as somebody who walks around a month from now wearing a Casper the Ghost mask. No, I think you're right. And I wish I wish that uh, I wish we could get back to where people, you know, who want to manifest that psychosis um, wouldn't wouldn't feel not only so bold about it, but wouldn't feel em- empowered to push it on other people. Well, I agree. And the way to do that is to, uh, to to make it something that's no longer respectable, to make it idiotic and ridiculous, as it was before the <laughs> pandemic. You know, right. three years ago, before three years ago, if you saw an adult person walking around uh, wearing one of those things over their face, you would immediately go, my God, what's wrong with that person? You'd probably think they were a schizophrenic. Uh, you know, they were, you probably would, would have seen him uh, sitting in an old refrigerator box underneath a bridge somewhere. You know, normal people didn't do that. Uh, and unfortunately, what's happened is that abnormality has been normalized. And the way that we reverse that. Uh, is to clearly call out abnormality so that we can get back to normality. Here, here, and it's it's long overdue. Um, you know, I I still am trying to get my mind around how the the reporting on <laughs> COVID was um, <laughs> was shaded to to make us think that everybody, you know, the cases. Oh, look at all these cases yep. and the blood red numbers and everything. You know, just it was all to scare us. And yet uh, now, now that we have come back to our senses, now that we're realizing, wait a minute, a lot of this was unnecessary. I'm just infuriated at the politicians, the bureaucrats, the the press members who pretend like, oh no, that never happened. The gaslighting is just yeah. legendary. Absolutely, the, the the thing that that sticks in my call the most is that once it became evident that this was way overblown, indeed that it was hystericized, uh, and that we weren't all going to die, and that walking around wearing a, a stupid bandana over your face isn't going to stop the spread, that they continue to push it. And that tells me that this was about malevolent motives. It was not about uh, a well-intended, oh, you know, we have to be careful because there's potentially a lethal thing afoot, and, you know, we got to make sure that people are safe. That's nonsense. It wasn't about that. And we can 
uh, and we can uh, ascertain that we can know that uh, by dint of the fact that they continued to double down and triple down on everything that they lied to us about when it was clear that what they were telling us were lies. Here, here. And and I don't know what percentage of the public, maybe you have a feel for this, Eric, but what percentage of the public do you think likely still goes along and embraces that? I, it's got to be a shrinking number. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's regional. It really depends on where you are. I, you know, I get a, I get a sense of this because I get a lot of uh, correspondence from people all over the country. You probably get the same. In my area, uh, you almost never see it. But when I go into the urban area that's near me, if I go to Roanoke, I will see pretty much at least one or two. If I go into the supermarket, I'll generally see one or two of them. Then I have people who tell me uh, who live, say, in the, the Bay Area, San Francisco, that they see a lot more than that, that they estimate that it's 15 to 20 percent of the people uh, are still wearing it. So, of course, you know, it correlates with politics. And we all know that that's the case. We all know that the majority of the most militant maskers weren't concerned about their health. They were concerned about their politics. Right. And, and compliance. Everybody must comply. Mm-hmm. If, I, if, if I'm not safe, you're not safe. If you're or whatever. <laughs> Right. Well, at least so, they, you know, least... mocking it, mocking it is really important. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a uh, as a sideline. I'm sort of an amateur historian. I love to read about tyranny's past. And one of the most effective tools that you can wield against the tyrant is to laugh at them, Amen. at their stupid costumes, at their ridiculous rituals. They can't stand it. Uh, it punctures their aura uh, of godlike superiority. And that's critical <laughs> to understand. No, I, I agree. It's the one thing that they find more intolerable than intolerance is you're, you mm-hmm. can't laugh at me. Um, what yep. about what about the jab? Are you not at least feeling a little bit of relief, though, that, you know, the pressure that was put on us two years ago has has backed way, way off? Well, yes and no. I'm relieved in the sense that uh, right now in this moment, there isn't a lot of pressure uh, for people uh, to, to roll up their sleeves. But uh, I'm still worried because. Uh, the narrative behind that has not been repealed. You know, we're still hearing talk about safe and effective. Uh, it hasn't been repudiated. You know, not just these vaccines, but the idea that the government and corporations, essentially the same thing these days, uh, should have the right uh, to use pressure to coerce people to take drugs contrary to their will. That principle has not been thoroughly repudiated, and that's what needs to be repudiated. Yep. And in the meantime, those of us who resisted, <laughs> let's uh, we, we shouldn't yeah. be too proud of ourselves. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. But at the same time, hold your head high and know that uh, you withstood what has to have been the greatest psychological operation against not just the American people, but but the people of the globe within our lifetimes. Yes. And know that it works. You know, it was easy to get demoralized during the height of the <laughs> pandemic. Uh, because you saw everybody wearing the mask, and it seemed like everybody had kowtowed to it. Um, and it shows that you didn't have to kowtow to it, and if you didn't kowtow to it, if enough other people didn't kowtow to it, eventually it would go away, whether it's masks or vaccines. Saying no is a very, very powerful weapon, and we should exercise it more often. And it's not necessarily going to be the masks, the vaccine, and you know the, the social distancing stuff that, that we're going to face next. Um, I'm kind of worried that uh, you know now that we're going onto a wartime footing for some oh, yeah. re- for some reason somewhere, um, I worry that the restrictions we saw rolled out under COVID are going to come back only they're going to come back you know on steroids because hey you know this is war and we have to do extraordinary things during war. Yeah, well, and uh, you know the thing that worries me the most about that is that the people who are supposedly opposed most 
to the left and to Biden will be the probably most ardent supporters of our war president, Joe Biden, should it ever come down to that. Very because true. they'll have their patriotic impulses turned against them to support the war president. Yeah, there's. I know it's it's kind of indelicate, but uh, there there's a phrase that uh, someone coined here a while back that has really stuck with me, and it's patriotic priapism. And if you know who Priapism, yes, that's wonderful. I love that. <laughs> that's when when everybody's comparing atrocities, and well, this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. We have to you know turn it into gravel and whatnot. That's people you know viewing atrocity porn to achieve their patriotic Priapism. And for those who don't know who Priapism yes. was, you can look it up, and um, but you'll get a bit of an education there. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we're at a very dangerous moment in time. Uh, You know, there's now a confluence of interest between the government in Israel of Bibi Netanyahu and the government of the United States headed by the puppet Joe Biden, in that both were in precarious straits politically. Both had abysmally low approval ratings. And what could be more helpful uh, in a situation like that than a war? You know, I'm not in any way minimizing what Hamas did over there. I'm just saying that it, it does redound to the benefit of a uh, of a wounded Israeli leader who was facing widespread public, public opposition to him and his policies. And that same sort of a thing could happen here as well. Yeah, I don't know how many people understand that uh, Israel, as a nation, was uh, on the brink of, of civil war, or at least some very serious mm-hmm. civil unrest, up until mm-hmm. the weeks leading to this sudden surprise attack. And now look, oh, well, hey, yeah. this huge distraction has, has suddenly got everybody on the same page. Yes, another historical reference, if we go back just a few years to the presidency of our friend George W. Bush, uh, in the first year of his presidency, he was not popular. He was regarded generally as a laughingstock, yep. low approval ratings, and then came 9-11, and he became a war president. And all of a sudden, this guy had 90% approval rating, and basically everybody just clicked their heels and did what they were told. You know, it, it happens over and over again. Hermann Goering, the, the Reichs Marshal of the Greater German Reich, said at Nuremberg, very cynically but very accurately, it's easy to control the population. Uh, just, uh, just tell them the country is being attacked and, uh, and deride anybody who questions what the leadership is doing uh, as putting the country in danger. Yep, as being unpatriotic. And boy, did we yep. see that in spades, you know, during yep. uh, the invasion of Iraq and during, of course, the war in Afghanistan. By the way, both of which turned out perfectly, so we were wrong. Oh, wait, no, 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 they <laughs> yep. didn't. All right, hold that thought. Eric, when we come back, we're going to talk about the EV revolution that yeah. may not be happening. Eric Peters is my guest. You can check out his website. I've got a link in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com or go to ericpetersautos.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. We're talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. All right, Eric, I uh, I notice more EVs out on the road these days, and it's because of our conversations. I, I pay attention. I know that car does not have it, an exhaust pipe, or, you know, that car is unusually quiet, or that person seems unusually stranded. I wonder why. No, okay, I, I don't necessarily <laughs> look for that. But um, yeah, yeah. talk to me about the EV revolution that, uh, that appears to be bogging down. Well, it is bogging down. And the interesting thing is uh, I I was reading an article in Jalopnik, which is a a supposed car site run by people who hate cars, which is an interesting subject in its own right. It's kind of like the Bud Light thing. You've got people marketing beer who hate beer and despise the people who drink their beer. (laughs) 
But yeah, the, you know, the EV revolution is stalling. Uh, you know, Ford sales of the F-150 Lightning are down almost 50%. Uh, dealers are refusing uh, further deliveries of the vehicles because they can't sell them. And it's because, you know, the reality about EVs is getting out there. Uh, you know, the, 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 the phenomenal quickness is one thing, and that was the initial sell. The people are beginning to realize how limited and how tethered they are when they own one of these things. Um, and so people aren't buying them. And this guy, Jalopnik, was talking about how horrible that is, that the free market should not be allowed to determine what kinds of cars people are allowed to have. And so I, got into, I decided to write a whole article dissecting this and talking about how despicable it is. You know, I, again, I personally don't like electric cars, but if somebody wishes to buy one, that's their prerogative. That's their right. They have every right to buy something that they want. What I take issue with is being told I have to like and buy what they tell me I have to like and buy. Here, here. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I have to wonder, you know, look, on the one hand, the electric cars, they're, they're very, very cool in terms of, oh, look at this quiet and all the doodads and gadgets and so forth. But, but the downsides, Eric, this is, this yeah. is something that you have really impressed on me is there may be some upsides, but there's a lot of downsides. And the more people I talk to, the more they're saying, yeah, that just doesn't make sense for us. Sure. And again, it, there's a parallel here between the masks and the, and the vaccines. You know, they, they told people initially, if you take these, these so-called vaccines, you won't get and you can't spread COVID. Remember that? And after a while, it became obvious that people who had taken the shot were still getting COVID, still spreading COVID. And it made people very uh, cynical about the vaccines, rightly so. And again, people are being told things about EVs that are half-truths. You know, yeah, it's very true they accelerate very quickly, but what they don't tell you is how rapidly that depletes the range. They don't tell you that you're going to have to spend potentially thousands of dollars making upgrades to your home's electrical system in order to be able to charge the thing in less than several days. Uh, you know, they don't tell you that, you know, if you're, if you're a multi-car household, well, now you're going to have to have at least two of those 240-volt level 2 fast chargers uh, installed in your garage, but your panel probably can't support that. So you're going to be reduced to having one car that you can use every day, and the other car is going to be an occasional use vehicle. Things like that. Yep. Well, you know, the old grocery getter idea is is still there. But man, I'm more and more I'm trying to take the long term approach and and that long term approach is how can I keep my gas engine car running for as long as possible? I want it to be an anachronism. Mm -hmm. I want people to mm -hmm. look at me like we would a guy riding into town on a horse, you know, to do his grocery shopping. Well, you can, and you can do it easily. You know, I actually uh, got into talking about this a little bit in an article I posted earlier today about the Tokyo Mobility Show. It used to be the Tokyo Auto Show. That's another topic we can talk about. But I made mention of the fact that back in 1998, my mom bought uh, a Lexus RX 300. My niece, my sister's daughter, is still driving that Lexus today. It has more than 200,000 miles on it. It's the original engine, runs like a top, doesn't smoke, doesn't burn any oil, wow. and the paint still looks good. Wow. You know, and the thing is, <laughs> what, 22 years old? You know, and that's typical. You know, if you get into the data, you'll find that the average car that's in use today as a daily driver is 13 years old almost. And, you know, yeah. you and I can remember when a 10-year-old car was a beaten-up old wreck that you would never uh, uh, risk driving daily because probably wouldn't get you to where you needed to be. Very true. Very true. Talk to me for a minute about that mobility. Why, why, the, mm -hmm. why the emphasis on the word mobility instead of, you know, the, the auto show or motor show? Well, it's really, it's, 
it's revelatory. You know, the word is, it's not for nothing that they chose to use that word. And it's not just the Tokyo show. This is a new coinage that's becoming common in what used to be the car industry, which no longer wants to sell you a car. It wants to sell you transportation as a service. Uh, basically, what they want to do is convert their business model over to the Bill Gates software model, where instead of buying a CD in a box and you own that thing and you can use the program on your computer and then you can give it to your you know, kid and the kid can use it on his computer and so on, uh, instead of that, you buy a license to use software and you have to pay a fee every year to continue to be allowed to use uh, the, the licensed software. That's what they're envisioning will be the future with transportation, with mobility. You won't own a car. What you'll do is you'll buy a ride. Yep. Again, I, you know, on the one hand, I can see why for some people that may sound good. Well, I don't really have a place to park a car. That's fine. But for, for the rest of us who've had a taste of freedom and liked it, I, I want to have that option. Well, and besides, we already have that option for people who want that. They're called taxis and Ubers. Yep. And what they're trying to do is force us all into a taxi or an Uber. Going to be interesting to see how this shakes out over the next 10 years. If you and I don't end up in the same gulag together, at the, at the very least, I hope you and I are corresponding in about 10 years going, isn't it great that that, uh, that communist uh, climate change mania finally blew over? Well, you know, one of the great ironies or paradoxes of this is that the car industry, the car companies have made cars so good that they last practically forever. You know, getting back to my mom's Lexus, my pickup truck that's almost as old. Uh, you know, and, and, and so they sort of hoist themselves on their own petard. People used to have to buy a car roughly every five to seven years. Now they don't. So, you know, they're they're trying to figure out a way to get their money back is really what all this comes back down to. Yeah. I mean, you'd think they would take pride in building a car so well <laughs> that, I know. that it didn't become obsolete. Absolutely. You know, and if they if they still did that, they could still make money doing it. The other side of the coin is that cars have gotten to be so expensive that there is a strong incentive for people to hold on to what they've got. You know, $50,000 is now the average transaction price for a car, not just an EV, just generally $50,000. Who the heck can afford that? You know, right. it makes putting ten dollars or $15,000 into whatever old car you've got a really prudent investment, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and at the same time, it also has me thinking, you know, if worse comes to worse, I better have some good shoe leather, you know, as, as my backup backup <laughs> yeah. plan, some good walking shoes yeah. just in case. Of course, I kind Yeah, but let's not let them take away our mobility. I think that that is such an important point to make because without mobility, we don't have liberty. And that's something that people need to understand. Agreed. And, and would that more people would make that, that connection. It's, it's not mm -hmm. just a car, just like as George W. is not just a gosh dang piece of paper. You know, there's, right. it, it represents something much bigger, much more important. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've taken that for granted, uh, understandably, for many generations. And the time has come to stop taking it for granted. By the way, we've got about one minute left here, Eric. But I wanted mm -hmm. to touch on a column you had, which I thought was just so on target. Where to start? And you pose the question, yeah. if you're opposed to the left, you've probably wondered, how do you stop that seemingly inexorable advance? And you say there's a simple answer as to where to start to, to reclaim, you know, what is rightfully yours. What is that place? Well, you know, since we haven't got a lot of time, I'll say, I'll put it this way. Almost nobody among us likes a bully, right? right. So why do we vote for bullies? Why, why do we constantly want uh, a politician who's going to order other people around instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to respect other people and I'm going to leave other people alone. 
and expect that the same courtesy be extended to you. Live and let live, uh, you know, the golden rule. Uh, and that's if we, if we were to live by that, we wouldn't have almost all of the problems that we have. No, I completely agree. I agree. But I, I just, I think you zoomed in on something that it's so obvious that you think more people would, would just see this as self-evident, but you have to agree when someone is saying, hey, give me power over you. If you don't consent, they don't get that power. Right. Exactly right. Eric, as always, great to visit with you. I feel energized. I can face the rest of the week from here on. So so thank you, my friend. <laughs> you bet. Likewise. All right. Again, we're talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Please check out the link I provided in my show notes and spend some quality time at his website. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I have a couple of guests I want to bring on for the next couple of segments, and I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. First of all, I want to welcome uh, Sarah Nasuda as well as uh, Ali Schmidt. They both work with Turning Point USA. And and before I go much further, I'm just going to take a second here. I'm sorry, this is kind of imposing, but I'm going to ask you, starting with Sarah, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll talk a little bit about Turning Point USA. So first, Sarah, and then Ali, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I am, I just recently moved to Utah. Um, I'm 22, graduated from University of Oregon, grew up in Oregon my whole life. Um, and found it to be very politically troubling um, in the Pacific Northwest. So that kind of brought me to the place I am right now. Um, I just could not stand all the backlash and the hate for the country and just the disrespect for in the school systems and what I was being taught at college and at University of Oregon. And um, I was planning on moving to Utah and I luckily was able to find a job with Turning Point USA. I got involved with them in college um, through a sub company that they have called Campus Victory Project, um, where they endorse and fund candidates to run for student body presidents at universities that are being kind of taken over by that woke mindset and they me um, and had me and my best friend run and they fully like funded our campaign. We had a representative who kind of did our job, but on that company side, helped us with posters and stickers and helped us do our social media. So they were really good to me. I got to go to some of our national conferences in Phoenix and in Tampa um, and met some awesome kids. It was the first time I was actually around like a majority conservative group. And that was mind blowing to me being <laughs> from the Pacific Northwest. Um, so yeah, they just had always been great to me and now we're here. So, um, I can kind of let Ali take away like what we do in our day-to-day job. Um, if that's okay, just cause I kind of already spoke a, a lot. Yeah. No, Allie, I t- tell us no. about yourself, Ali, then, then tell us what, what the two of you do. Sure. So I grew up in Olympia, Washington on the West side of Washington, which If you're familiar with Washington politics at all, the east side is very different than the west. I went to Washington State University on the east side, started to kind of fall in love with what the east side had to offer, lived in Seattle for 10 years, COVID hit, and I made my way back east to Spokane where I live now. And I had a good girlfriend and I that um, we followed Charlie Kirk and Turning Point. There's a really cool young women's group called Poplitics that's popular culture focused, um, one of their segments that they do on social media. And 
we followed that heavily and that took us to one of the student conferences down in Tampa and being around that many kind of to to mirror what Sarah said to be around that many people that were conservative and that were students the the specific summit we went to even we, as adults we attended and it was so inspiring to be around that and I actually started to seek out turning point jobs once I attended that conference I really wanted to get involved in be inspired by that every day so now, um, reflecting on what Sarah and I do, the Turning Point program um, has existed on colleges for a decade. Charlie Kirk himself started chapters and clubs at college campuses for students to get active in politics, have conversations, civil conversations um, on their college campuses <laughs> about different. <laughs> it's a key, a key part because a lot of people don't want to have civil conversations. It doesn't happen as often as it should. No. Absolutely. Right. And um, that's a huge key point of how we operate our clubs and chapters. We want to have civil discourse so that we can understand different mindsets. When you completely close out one side of the argument and you don't allow that conversation to happen, you can't engage, you can't move forward, you can't find common ground. Um, so that's something that we saw on college campuses. We had so much success, Turning Point had so much success with that program that some of the feedback we started to get back from students is I wish I would have had this in high school. So that's where Sarah and I have jumped on board and um, we're now in the second year of the high school program. So Sarah and I are going around to local high schools, homeschool groups, private schools, and helping students that have, um, you know, free market and constitutional beliefs to have a place within their school. Um, Sarah and I both oversee together Idaho. Um, I have the North, Idaho area and Sarah has from about Boise South. So together we're, we're a joint force of helping Idaho high school students and high school age students have a place to be a patriot. Wow. That is a massive territory that, that you're covering. Um, so I, I have to ask in the high schools and, and keeping in mind, you're, you're describing some, some fairly, I think safe to say red state areas. How, um, how much of the, the woke agenda has, has, you know, infiltrated even into those schools? I, I'm just curious because th this seems like a pretty red place, but um, what do you encounter that's trying to, to lead, you know, young people in, in a different activist direction? Yeah, I can go. Um, it's surprisingly more than I would expect. It's nothing compared to what that I expect the reps probably in Oregon or like Seattle or LA might encounter, but it still is slowly making its way in here. Um, I know a lot of the one method that I will use is I actually go into like front offices um, if we don't have a student directly who's interested and I'm like, hi, kind of explain what we do keep it pretty neutral. Um, sometimes I'll do it an approach of being like, I would love to set up a voter registration drive and just get kids civically involved. I don't mention turning point, anything like that. Um, and a lot of times they're pretty apprehensive. They're like, no, we don't want you. Um, and when they do find out what turning point is, they they kind of shut you down. Unless we had, do have a friendly admin, they'll kind of help you out a little bit. Um, but I've seen, I know there's a lot of like gay straight alliance clubs clubs on campuses, there's like black student unions, like those type of things, which surprised me to see here. Um, but other than that, um, I know maybe Ali has a different perspective because I know you also cover Spokane. So that might be a little different, but in Utah, 
um, like county at least, it seemed to remain relatively conservative, but I know there's like those transgender bathroom protests going on here a lot, Um, especially in elementary schools. I know that that was a big thing here a couple weeks ago. Um, And obviously the LDS religious culture here, um, there's like some religious freedom stuff coming up. Like teachers don't want anything to do with religion. And that's obviously really taking a toll on parents who are very, very heavily religious here. So, um, those are the main issues that I've seen in the schools, but it's still relatively calm in comparison to, I think some other more blue areas for sure. What's your experience been, Ellie? Yeah. To focus on just who comes out of the university and uh, educational um, realm. I mean, it's when teachers come out of school, they have, in my opinion, they have come out indoctrinated with what the universities say and do and what happens on campus there. And so you end up having a lot of staff um, and administration that believe in woke ideologies um, that are, you know, taking over schools. And there are plenty of students in areas like we have in our territory where that may not necessarily align with the way that the students feel. And like Sarah said, they have all of these other clubs that exist for that for that mindset, but they're very apprehensive of starting a, a club like Turning Point, which is completely within the student's realm of freedom of speech. So we have to be kind of a freedom fighter for these students that don't know their rights and their constitutional rights. And a part of our training is actually learning the um, Equal Access Act of 1984 and helping students understand what that means for them and if they get pushback from their administrations. Um, Definitely there are other parts of the country that probably see more than we do in Idaho, but COVID, people realized how asleep they were. I think school boards were really sleepy. a lot of parents weren't engaged in understanding on what was happening in the school and a silver lining to that. I know Idaho is one of the first to go back and has seen success from that. Um, and it, I think it's woken a lot of people up. And so right now there are parents that are, you know, they have their, their, uh, their parent guard up. Now they're awake and they, they want to be engaged and want to help and want to find ways to, combat issues that they may not necessarily like. Okay. We're coming up on our break here in just a moment. Again, I'm talking with Ali Schmidt and Sarah Nasuda. And before we go to break, I just want to ask people or ask you where people want to get more information. What's the website they can go to if they want to start looking into this themselves? Yeah. So we have a main website, Turning Point USA. I believe it's just tpusa.com. And that will take you to all our about. Um, You can see where we have chapters. um, And then you can also do a get involved form. And in that form, it'll ask for your name, where you're located. And then the headquarters actually like distributes those to us, depending on what address you put in. So if you're a Utah or Southern Idaho, I will get your information and Allie will get yours if you're in Washington area um, in Northern Idaho. So yeah, you can fill out one of those get involved forms. um, And we can also leave you with like our direct contact if you have listeners who are directly in our territory. Okay. So we're helping them get the word out today. I would expect my listeners, you know, to make good use of this information. We're going to come back and continue our conversation with Allie and with Sarah. We'll talk about what Turning Point USA stands for. This is important stuff. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Again, we are talking with Sarah Nasuda and Ali Schmidt. They both work with Turning Point USA. And uh, I, I wanted to come back to this just to, to clarify. I'm much more interested, well, you know, there, there are lots of groups out there and we're very sure what they're against, but Turning Point USA has some very clear things that they stand for. Talk to me about what those things are. Yeah, I'd say first and foremost, Charlie does a good job of always starting any conference or training or anything that we do that our nation is the greatest nation that was ever founded and our constitution is one of the greatest governmental pieces of work ever written. And I think those kind of hit home to a lot of what our organization believes in and what we want students to be learning and have access to and, um, you know, as far as learning the Constitution and understanding what each one of those amendments are, especially Bill of Rights, we do activities together with the students. Let's say they want to learn more about the Second Amendment. We spend that week or that chapter meeting learning about what the right to bear arms means, what it means to infringe upon that. Um, if they have questions about it, we engage in you know the civil discourse, even if there are students that maybe disagree within the club on what that looks like. We want students to always feel like they can have their own opinion, but they have to be able to stand up for it. They have to know why they feel that the way that they do instead of just regurgitating information. They have to form their own opinions. And then um, as a fun activity we like to do with our, our chapters, um, they could go paintballing and use a bunch of our Second Amendment materials to you know, show, show support for that, <laughs> engage in something fun, and enjoy you know, spending time and socializing with each other in an arena where they feel like they can say exactly what's on their mind and not be discouraged or told not to. Um, and then free market principles, I think, is another huge thing. Uh, oh, talking yeah. about entrepreneurship, setting them up with, uh, you know, meetings with people in the community. That's a huge part of, of what Sarah and I do is engage with local and regional um, leaders and make sure that the students have access to them. To, if they want to hear the mayor speak about what they do, if they want to hear, you know, the local social media company and how successful they are and how that entrepreneur got started and that we want to help build those connections and create uh, opportunity for these students they may not otherwise have within school. Something that really struck me, especially as I looked into, okay, you know, what about the focus on, uh, you know, the United States being the greatest country in the history of the earth, uh, the Constitution, you know, being the greatest, uh, most exceptional political document um, ever written. This is not coming from a place of um, superiority and, you know, bombastic, look, we're so much better than everybody else. And, and I say that because it seems like the loudest critics against uh, Turning Point USA, as well as just the concepts that, now this is a very blessed nation. Um, they, they always want to reduce it to, well, it's, it's nationalism. You guys are, you know, some kind of, of, of nationalist as if, as if that's a bad thing. Uh, and I just, I have to give credit to you guys. You, when you talk about this and the way that I've seen Charlie Kirk talk about this in some of his presentations, it comes off as we need to appreciate what we have before, before we lose it. And so it, it comes from, I don't know, there's, there's humility as well as recognition that we have something really special here. Um, we should stand up. What, what kind of feedback do you get from the students that you talk to, particularly at the high school level? Are there students who are like, I'm glad to see there are people who actually believe this way? Do they feel isolated? 
Yeah, um, I feel like a lot of the best feedback we get, a lot of students are just really excited about it. High school students, they are like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like, I didn't know we had something like this. Um, and they are tend to be pretty excited. But I feel like the best feedback I've gotten is a lot of times from parents or community members or teachers. Um, and they're like, wow, like, I am so happy that you're doing this. Like, I've received some very sweet, like, emails from parents and grandparents. Like, I really appreciated you coming and speaking to us um, and telling us about this. Like, our, they see the decline in just the the love for our country and the patriotism. And um, they're like, I'm so glad that Turning Point USA exists. Um, and I can tell my kids about this. I can tell my grandkids about this. I can bring this to my students. Um, I've gotten a few responses from teachers um, that I've heard, not directly to me, but we have in our clubs, every club has to have a faculty advisor. So one of the teachers who is just there to kind of oversee, they use their classroom for meetings, things like that. Um, and I know some of our teachers have gotten negative responses from other teachers saying, like, this is really dangerous. You shouldn't be doing this. Like, this is not a good look for you. Wow. Things like that. Um, but I am very happy and proud of our faculty advisors for standing up for these students being like, no, like they have the right to do this. We're not doing anything crazy. Like they'll have meetings and talk about just like capitalism or freedom or restoring and things like that. Um, we had a rep this morning who just sent like, um, a thing saying how the school that they went to, um, they just like restored the Pledge of Allegiance for the first time in what, 10 years, five years, they wow. had said the Pledge of Allegiance and the Turning Point USA Club actually restored that, which was so awesome. So just little things like that, that you wouldn't think would be crazy, um, like radical people wouldn't be against that, but they are, which is scary, but I'm glad we have our organization to back those students up. Now you have events that go on that, uh, that people might want to know about as well. Um, in fact, what, what is the latest event I believe coming up in December? It's called America Fest down in Phoenix. Okay. And Whoa. this is, this is like our tier one. All of our events are great. Like I said, I attended a conference and that's what made me want to pursue working with Turning Point. Um, I know a lot of our field reps feel the same way and had the same experience um, but they're, they're for all ages. Um, some of them are student focused, but especially America Fest is a family friendly. Everyone can come and enjoy it. There's concerts every night. We like to call it the conservative Coachella. I think that puts it into perspective nice. the best way. <laughs> all of the top celebrities that you want to rub shoulders with and meet, they'll be there. Um, we've had quite a few announcements on speakers already, including Riley Gaines, Tucker Carlson, the man, the man wow. himself. He yeah. will be there. Uh, we just had uh, uh, Kimberly and Trump Jr. just announced this week as um, also speakers. So, you know, those speakers will continue to flood in and anyone interested in attending that conference can go to amfest.com, A-M-F est.com and all the information on the speaker announcements when the concert uh, uh, singer is announced that'll be available there and any information as far as lodging ticket prices all of that is going right now we actually have a pretty cool deal right now if students uh, apply or register now up until Thanksgiving, they will actually be entered to win a meet and greet opportunity with Charlie Kirk himself. Oh, so nice. Little extra promotion that we have going right now. And Sarah and I can give you promo codes for anyone that reaches out. Um, we'd be happy to 
to give them a little discount on what their what their attendance would be. I'm thinking Arizona in mid-December. Mm, it's not a bad <laughs> <It's hard>. idea. <laughs> yeah, I think that that would actually that would be a nice selling point in and of itself. We've got about one minute here. Um, each of you will start with uh, Ali. Take a moment and tell me uh, what do you find most satisfying about what you're able to do with Turning Point USA. I think it's just the basic and elemental benefits that the students get. Yes, they're learning about the Constitution. Yes, they're socializing. But we have activism grants where the students have to figure out the cost of what their activity is going to be. They can apply so that we can grant them money through the donations, our wonderful donors for TPUSA. Um, so they're learning grant writing. Uh, Robert's rules of chapter meetings, they're learning that and engaging in discourse that they may not have uh, a reason to or a way of learning this early in their life. Um, it's really cool to see these basic adult things happening at such an early age and in such a fun way and being inspired by these students. There are students that stand up for themselves more than the adults around them and it's, it is so inspiring and encouraging to know our country is headed in a better direction. Absolutely. Okay, Allie, your turn. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I feel like honestly, so Ali put it a really awesome way. Um, I Sarah, feel like, sorry. <laughs> My bad. No worries. I knew what you meant. Um, I feel like also seeing them be able to find a community of like-minded students as well has been really rewarding. Cause I know I went to high school in downtown Portland. Um, and I didn't have that. I had people tell me to kill myself and that I was horrible and it was embarrassing to be my friend because I Yikes. was conservative. And so having a place where they can meet friends that they may have not have met otherwise um, and have that like space to talk about what they actually believe and not have to just say what they think the teachers and the administration want is really rewarding um, to see them get a better experience than I know a lot of us field reps had, which is why we're in the place we are today. Um, so just being able to give them that experience has been really rewarding and meet new students and just see like ali said where that they're going and that our country really is has hope and don't give up because there are young so many young kids who want to see our country succeed and restore it back they're getting really tired of it so um have hope thanks again for being my guests i appreciate it thank, thank you brian for us. it was really nice to meet this you this is the brian hyde show